I don't see why Africa would fall into the lower end or would stay rather in the lower end of the value chain. We could be rivaling, you know, our Asian counterparts. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Africa Asia webinar for tonight and the discussion series that we've been having is on global value chains and Africa. And tonight we are having the last discussion, which is thoughts uh, or considerations for Africa on global value chains. And uh, basically what we're trying to do is following up on the discussion from the last two weeks. Uh, we are looking at some of the considerations that someone within Africa, whether it's the policymakers or business people should take into account or uh, things that they should possibly look into if they want to participate more in the global value chain. So tonight I'm with Ayanda, who has been gracious enough to join us in the last two weeks. And tonight we also have Maureen. And I will let Ayanda say hi and introduce herself. And then Maureen introduces herself. And then we will go into the discussion, Ayanda. Thank you so much, Christine. And good evening, everybody. It's good to be back. Um, welcome to any new listeners that we may have and um, for the ones that have been with us since week one, um, this is going to be a very interesting discussion and yeah, I hope you have enjoyed the webinars thus far. Okay, um, thanks Ayanda. Uh, Maureen, please introduce yourself. Um, thank you very much Christine for the opportunity. My name is Maureen Wangi. I'm joining this discussion for the first time today. And I'm looking forward to having fruitful discussions with Ayanda, Christine, and with um, eventually when it's shared with the listeners. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Maureen. Uh, and so I think to just give a recap from the last weeks. So the discussions that we've been having have been mainly around the global value chains. What is the what are global value chains? And we explain that by saying it's like the cross networking of uh, the production processes, the marketing processes uh, of goods and services through the globe. So what uh, being uh, what it is that uh, trade has become such an intertwined affair across many countries so that not one single country is doing everything. So there's someone who is producing, another person is giving capital, another person is marketing, and then there's someone who's trying to, you know, come up with innovations in tech and in the knowledge economy to feed into the entire global value chain. So we've also looked at how Africa is doing. And in the last week, uh, we highlighted some of the things, considerations on Africa and its place in the global value chains. And what we noted mainly was that being uh, like a producer or a participant in the global value chain at the beginning of the chain where a majority of what Africa does is contribute raw materials or contribute low-skilled labor, then the return on that is, most instances, very low. This is considering that someone else is offering maybe uh, tech or they are offering maybe marketing or something higher up the chain and they tend to be able to get a better return. So uh, we looked also at uh, how, because of the global value chains, there have been changes in business transactions 
So for instance, the development of uh, or the rising or strengthening of multinational enterprises, which is uh, these companies um, that will be across many different countries. And then also that they, they are almost a mini kingdom in themselves in the sense that there are many sides of transactions that they're dealing with. So examples of like Google, uh, uh, of Google, example of um, Amazon, uh, such entities where you you find that someone is offering cloud computing, they're offering the search engine, they're offering so many things, um, streaming services and all these things. So at the end of the day, they end up tapping into very different things within like the global value chains. And then also at the same time now, looking at maybe the goods side, there's someone who is producing uh, goods, but then they're also using their own technology or, you know, like, have developed themselves in such a way that they're able to do a lot within the global value chains. And then we considered how when such entities come like within Africa, then how would African businesses be able to compete with such, uh, with such multinational enterprises? But then this is also considering that Africa need not uh, invent the wheel in the sense that you need not start doing everything. You just need to look for the thing that you could be good at as Africa and plug in into that in the chain and do a good job at it. So uh, that's just a recap of what we've discussed so far. And at this point, I will invite Ayanda to start off the discussion uh, for tonight on some considerations, you know, like uh, that Africa should uh, look into as we carry on this discussion about global value chains, Ayanda. Thank you so much, Christine. And I completely agree. When it comes to global value chains, there really is no need to reinvent the wheel because a lot of the times these value chains already have within them systems and procedures that are followed by all the players in the chain. And what governments are required to do is to find where they best fit within that um, trade linkage. But one of the major disadvantages that can be noted when it comes to Africa's participation within the global value chain is the costs that are actually incurred by these governments. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about what you are able to produce. You need to think not just about the production, but you're thinking about the cost of like transporting those goods from whether it's the factory onto a train, the factory onto a plane, or if you're lucky enough to be on the coast, you know, coastal charges and um, the infrastructure that actually is required to ensure that these um, trade routes are actually uh, 100% exploited by African governments. And one way in which that can be done is through upgrading the way in which African um, countries and African governments participate within the global value chain. This is something that would require a lot of focus on improving productivity to ensure that when when there is some form of active participation or active integration within the global value chains, we are able to, as a continent, reap as many of the rewards as we possibly can. So one of the ways in which um, Africa can better participate in global value chains is through economic upgrading. So this is to try to 
change the structure of how we do things within our economy by trying to ensure that when we do produce goods to go into the global value chain, we are focusing more on the higher end of the spectrum. So this would require a lot of um, research and development to go through and a lot of knowledge transfers um, and product differentiation. So there is, for example, a firm in Ghana known as Blue Skies that um, is majoring in this economic upgrading. It adds domestic value to the fruit industry by cutting the fruit locally and then shipping it to the European supermarkets by air instead of actually exporting the fruit in its whole self. And then a, a second way that we can do this upgrading is through what is known as social upgrading. So this is more focused on the employment side rather. So um, trying to find ways of increasing employment, increasing employment conditions, because as we noted earlier, there is a, a gap when it comes to employment conditions. Yes, within Africa, that allows there to be a lower cost when you're participating within the value chain. However, what we are not trying to do, because Africa is a labor intensive um, is, is labor intensive as compared to the rest of the world, but by improving employment conditions, we are then also able to improve the output. So many um, African countries, they need to try and find a way to balance these two and to find a way to improve specialization, improve the way in which we are participating within the value chain whilst looking at the products that we are producing. As we noted, I think it was in week one or week two, that Africa produces a lot of your raw materials. So like with um, the Ghanaian example, if we're producing fruits, how can we add value to, their, to that fruit? Uh, we had provided the example of copper. Instead of uh, exporting raw copper, rather we make the copper wise or whatever else is needed later on in the value chain. And it's, I know it's easier said than done, but if we're able to really harness this, I believe that Africa would be able to make huge strides when it comes to participation in global value chains, as well as economic growth and economic integration. Um, Christine? Okay, okay. Uh, thanks, Ayanda, for those comments. And yes, I, I do agree that, you know, there's quite a bit of scaling up that's required uh, by different African countries. Uh, Maureen, if you could uh, possibly give your comments or any thoughts that you have on the topic, then I will pick it up uh, further from what Ayanda has explained. Okay, thank you, Christine. So for me, I'd like to shift the discussion slightly to, um, to taxation. And in taxation, in relation to global value chains, I looked at it in two different ways. So the first is that, of course, for Africa to be part of global value chains, um, it would mostly through, be through uh, multinational companies. And for those multinational enterprises to invest in African countries, there has to be a conducive environment for investment. So which means there could be some fiscal incentives that we're giving these companies, um, could consider giving them tax breaks or any other incentives that they would need in, in order to invest in African countries. So in a sense, there's need for African countries to look at their tax policies, see which policies could be stifling, you know, stifling development or just generally preventing 
large scale investment into countries. And I know there's different ways to do this. So a number of countries usually have um, bilateral investment treaties with other countries in which they have um, preferential tax agreements with those countries. It's also possible for countries to just have, um, for example, export processing zones, special economic zones in which they, they provide fiscal incentives for multinational companies and generally any other companies that can help Africa to contribute to global value chains. So generally, African countries should look into their tax systems and identify what barriers, what tax barriers exist um, that would prevent um, Africa from contributing in global value chains and see or rather research, um, research into potential ways in which they could um, remedy those areas, research also into incentives that they could offer to these multinational companies. But the other side of the discussion on tax, um, what for me what I thought of was that in giving multinational companies um, incentives, generally also multinational enterprises are known, they're very notorious for tax planning, aggressive tax planning and tax avoidance. So at the same time, as we're giving them incentives, as we're um, giving them incentives so they can invest into our you know, our countries and so that we can participate in the global value chain. We also need to make sure that they are paying their fair share of tax. And there, there are a number of initiatives around um, going, going, going on around the world currently in relation to tax. One of them that um, I've been reading about is the global minimum minimum tax, which is sort of a push for countries to decide on a minimum tax across the world and it is part as one of the ways in which multinational companies which typically avoid tax could be subject to tax because if it's going to be applied all over the world then wherever they set up their operations then they will be subject to tax so generally um the current push for global minimum tax is being pursued mostly by g20 countries and the countries that are mostly um the countries that participate under the OECD. So African countries' participation in that debate has not been um, has not been as great. So that's potentially one area in which African countries could consider looking into so that they make sure that even as we invite multinational companies to invest in our economy so that we can join the global value chain, we also have to make sure that those companies are paying their fair share of tax. Yes those companies will have contributed by giving jobs and jobs currently are a big issue in many African countries. But at the same time, we also need to make sure that they pay their fair, fair share of tax. This is especially so because a lot of the companies in African countries are small and medium enterprises. Small and medium enterprises will not have access to aggressive tax planning and avoidance methods that MNEs may have. So it's it's very likely that if we encourage MNEs and not um, put in place measures to make sure that MNEs are also paying their fair share of tax, then the, the tax burden will fall disproportionately on the SMEs. So I think those taxes are very, very key, a very, a very key consideration for countries in relation to um, joining the Africa, participating in the global value chain. Christine, I don't know if you have any insights especially because we're in the tax tax okay uh yes this is a topic i am um i'm passionate about and especially when you 
consider like in the digital economy. So let's uh, now to give like uh, an example, picking it up from what Maureen said is Google has been able to advertise, let's say for instance, in Uganda and has been able to target people in Uganda and for advertising and earned income. And this income, Uganda is not able to tax it. And why is Uganda not able to tax it? First of all, because Google has no physical presence in Uganda. And most times you need like a nexus or a point of contact between like Google and, and Uganda and a territory for you to be able to like uh, tax, lay a claim to those business profits. And in the traditional uh, tax rules, that was mainly through like a physical presence. You need to have like a physical presence. Now, what has happened in most of the digital, in the digital economy is that you don't need a physical presence to even sell goods uh, into a country. Look at Amazon, for instance. Amazon are set up, is able to supply and meet orders in many African countries. Uh, I, don't, I don't have the exact number, but they are able, you can order from Amazon and receive the goods. Uh, and now what that means is that Amazon is able to sell into Kenya they will not pay VAT, for instance, and they will not pay, pay uh, tax on their corporate income that they're earning. Someone selling the same goods in Kenya is like a local company, which has a brick and mortar shop where you go and buy, for instance, a book or buy clothes. Then they are very easy to target, to be targeted for tax compliance because you see, for instance, you need a license and someone uh, will ask you for your tax compliance. And then that way you're able to be tracked that you're not complying. So all this to say, especially within the digital economy, what has what's happening is that the local businesses are suffering a very high amount of tax compared to digital businesses. And that's a thing that will always put uh, the domestic companies at a greater disadvantage unless someone is able to tap into this digital economy and tax them fairly so that they're able to pay their fair proportion of taxes. And uh, as Maureen have noted, there's a lot of ongoing discussion on taxing the digital economy. And I think also the Africa Tax Administ uh, Administrative Forum is trying to do a good job in helping African countries uh, to come up with ways that uh, cater to African needs. Because, and I'll say this, in all uh, like consideration of what OECD is doing, like the output that OECD is giving is not pro-African countries. It's not pro-source uh, countries, countries where this most of the times it's like, for instance, Kenya will be importing most of these digital solutions. And so most of the times Kenya will be paying to like US, to US companies for these things. So when you look at the proposals that the OECD is giving, you realize that Kenya is not benefiting. Most source countries are not benefiting. And Kenya, for instance, refused to sign on to the onto the OECD final agreed solution for taxing the digital economy, as I could go on on this topic. But yeah, that, that especially the digital economy, if there has to be a proper participation and proper competition, then African countries need to have their own solutions, which I don't think the OECD will offer them. Uh, and then also, anyone listening to this, you can consider what the Africa Tax Administrative Forum is giving as alternatives and uh, what they have really considered to be alternatives to OECD for African countries, which is a consideration of really what are the needs of African countries. And then also, I think connected to that, uh, at another consideration for like African businesses and African policymakers is that there's a lot of 
loss of monies from Africa through things like money laundering, through things like illicit flow of funds, which also, again, uh, what happens is that there's a lot of money that's being stored offshore and uh, or it's just being siphoned to offshore uh, places where that is benefiting other countries or in terms of like what even the banks can invest and do with it. And that those funds are coming from Africa. And if you can look at like uh, the latest uh, Pandora, uh, Pandora papers, uh, the leak, you see that some some of uh, some of the people who have been mentioned there relate to like funds that have left Africa. And one of the things that really happens in such a case is that there's loss of money from African countries which could be used for development, which could be used for advancement. And then what happens is that sometimes if we are lucky, that money comes back as foreign aid. So it is round shipping of money. So you find that someone has been given mining rights to mine, to a, to a mine that's located in an African country. That money they pack it offshore so that they just uh, they pay the, uh, the the company within within Africa such a low amount of money for very little thing because they say it's only that the minerals that that they're selling and there's no value addition to the minerals. But all the money that comes from the sale in the international market doesn't come back to the African country. So then now what happens is that there's a lot of money which is not coming back even for the very little that we are selling. And then at the end of the day, someone gives it as foreign aid with conditions and sanctions if we don't comply. So these are things that policymakers would need uh, for you to participate in the global value chains. First, the systems have to be considered to address things like money laundering, base erosion and profit shifting from Africa, taxation in different aspects of it. Because without those, then there are such loopholes and there are very huge loopholes that someone is just using to exploit uh, what could have been used to develop. Um, I and I could go and on and on, but if you could give your additional comments on the topic. Thank you so much, Christine. And I'm glad that you mentioned the taxation perspective, Maureen, because it's one of the things that we noted that is a barrier to trade within Africa. And um, as the both of you were speaking, I was just wondering, when it comes to taxation, and either one of you can um, respond to this, when it comes to taxation of trade, is it more expensive or is the tax burden heavier when the taxation is intra-Africa trade as opposed to um, trade with other continents? Maureen, do you want to take it or should I give an attempt? I think you should because you're, you're the practitioner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay. So I think I under to be to answer that. You see, within like let's say within like the SADAC and like the East African community. So there there are customs unions. Like so, there's a common external tariff like uh, within EAC. So if you're within the East African community, we apply a common external tariff. What that means is that any goods coming from Kenya to Uganda are treated as if you're in one market. But anything coming from outside the EAC countries. Uh, we apply one 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 common tariff to them. So, if, for instance, it's uh, machinery, uh, farming machinery, then uh, the rate that would be applicable in Kenya would be the same as the rate applicable in Uganda. So now, what happens is that you first of all, there's you reduce the competition between the countries, especially when you're porting the goods, because if you are applying the same uh, 
common external tariff. Of course, there are some modifications depending on what a country needs. So if the, the country feels like it needs to create its, its agricultural sector, they may be allowed for a certain period of time to apply a different rate. But but then now what happens is that now you see ESC has that, SADAC has that, and now you see like a country like Tanzania is in EAC and it's in SADAC. Then you see that uh, Comesa also has its own arrangement of how like uh, the importation would would work. So, but then I would say like what happens within uh, most African countries on the tax side is that you find like within EAC you wouldn't say that uh, if there's it's because it's treated as the same market, then there wouldn't be you wouldn't say that Uganda is disadvantaged to be trading with Kenya at least not from a tax perspective. And I think what will even make it much, much better is if the Africa continental free trade area uh, advances to the point where we have like a common uh, external tariff where we are customs union because we will trade as if we are one market. I'm so happy you went to the Africa continental free trade area, Christine, because that was the main reason I was asking. On the basis that... um, Looking just at at trade and listening to the insights that you and Maureen gave, it begs the question of Africa's ability to fully exploit global value chains. Because um, going back to what I said earlier about uh, the issues that exist within the African trading system, when we're talking about things like our transit networks, we're talking about things, as you've been saying, money laundering, corruption, employment, and all of these various factors that when you look at them in isolation, they seem small, but adding them together, it does create a very big block. And one of the issues that arises when it comes especially to social upgrading is that research and development um, factor. It is about knowledge sharing and a, a willingness and an ability for Africans to share knowledge, for African countries to work with one another, to fully exploit the global value chains. And I'm hopeful that the African free trade area will actually allow us to do this. And as you've said, we have all of these customs unions already in place. and with these customs unions, it would work best if each customs union was to see how they could best exploit um, their goods. So uh, looking at, you know, our oil-rich countries on the west coast of Africa, how they could work together to increase um, value such as moving from crude oil to creating, you know, your petrols and your diesels to not only um, export outside of Africa, but to also find a way to reintegrate it into the African trading system to allow, for example, I don't know, maybe the manufacturing industry, because they use a lot of machinery, to upskill or to, to upgrade how we are actually able to effectively um, use our manufacturing industry. If we're talking about car manufacturers in Morocco and South Africa, you know, we get that um, fuel from uh, is it Chad, if I'm not mistaken? I could be wrong when it comes to oil and Algeria. Um, and then they channel that to your Moroccos and your South Africans. They improve manufacturing. If we're looking at manufacturing of textiles, then we're, we're actually able to um, increase the value that we're adding into the chain and lower the costs because even within our continent, we are 
upskilling ourselves just by creating a an ecosystem almost in the way that we trade. And I think one of the major issues that is there and one of the major burdens that exists within intra-Africa trade is the tax burden. It is the difficulty when it comes to transport systems. So if we're able to actually um, fully tackle and address some of these things, I don't see why Africa would fall into the lower end or would stay rather in the lower end of the value chain we could be rivaling you know our asian counterparts and we could actually manage to develop in a way that would not only benefit the country as a whole but would even benefit the poorest in society which i would believe is one of the major objectives of traders one of the major objectives rather of any government policy I could go on and on about the benefits of trade within Africa. And Maureen, I don't know if there's anything that you'd like to share. Um, yeah. So on the discussion on the continental free trade area, so obviously it's a very good um, opportunity for Africa to be able to sort of harmonize the rules and regulations in certain areas. But also there's the concern that it's supposed to be built upon the regional economic communities which are termed as the building blocks. But those regional economic communities, most of them also have their own um, their own rules, regulations, and some of them even have much, much deeper integration than what is currently under the AFCFTA. So I think that's also a potential concern for policymakers in in making sure that Africa participates in the in the global value chain. Because if AFCFTA is to be built upon those regional economic communities, many of which have their own rules, some of them deeper integration. How, how are those rules and regulations going to be harmonized so as to make, um, maybe to just streamline trade within Africa? And I know that the, the agreement actually says, the agreement establishing the AFCFT actually says that where there's a dispute between, not a dispute, but a conflict between a regional agreement and the AFCFT, then the AFCFT is going to, prevail. However, it does say that those economic communities which have deeper integration will be allowed to continue with their deeper integration. So that's, I think that's a potential conflict and that could um, possibly hinder the, the working of the AFCFTA if it's not, if it's not something that policymakers have, you know, have considered and tried to, you know, prevent the problems that could come from that. I think that's, you know, something that I thought about regarding the AFCFTA. Okay, and I think also to add on to that is there's need for also African countries to take seriously what the the after the agreement states. So, for instance, if we are already there and you're required not to go and negotiate for bilateral agreement as as if you're not in this economic unit, then you shouldn't do that. You know, like how and we've had discussions of that kind in the past here where like Kenya is pursuing to have a free trade area with the US and a different Ghana is trying to do its own thing. And then first of all, you're within EAC or you're within um, ECOWAS, you're within COMESA. And then first you go act and disregard everything that's in those agreements and go act as if you can solely negotiate for your own terms of trade with an external party. That, that's problematic, especially where 
we now should be integrating towards like acting as a single market and considering what it is that would benefit other countries. Yet you make you enter into agreement as if we are not part of that. So I think that's 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 another concern that African countries don't quite seem to take seriously those agreements, especially if you are to consider like the EU versus what uh, what is the result of what has been happening since the launch of the ACFTA. It, it's quite worlds apart. And then uh, also in addition to that, uh, I, I also wanted to add uh, to the discussion on what Ayanda, you had said that how nice it would be, especially like if you consider South Africa has a very good uh, car assembly and it exports cars. Why can can those cars be exported exported within Africa? Why would it be that African countries are still importing secondhand cars from Japan, from Germany, from the UK, from these other places, instead of buying from someone who is producing them not very far away. But then one of the quick answers to that, first of all, is the cost of transport, maybe from South Africa to another to Nigeria. It might even be cheaper to import from China or from Japan or from elsewhere. But you see, so there, there is production that's happening that could be of value within Africa, but there's not uh, much trade because there are even other cheaper options that someone is looking at because of these other uh, non-tariff barriers. So as much as within like the EAC, there is no tariff, we are applying as we are acting as if not acting. We are in the same customs union and we are uh, not charging tariffs, uh, customs duty to each other. There are also non-tariff barriers. Also, when you look at uh, like uh, someone who wants to go offer their services, like in South Africa from an African country, before you get that visa, you might just as well apply to go to the U.S. Or going to uh, coming to maybe open a business uh, in like Kenya. What are the requirements that you'd have? And when you consider like what are your requirements for work permit vis-a-vis -vis someone who is not from an African country? Or, although although Kenya is, is, is different because I, especially for Africans uh, it's it's comparatively easier. But when you look at these other non-tariff barriers among African countries, I think that really really affects how much trade can happen because of the cost of doing businesses because of these other rules that you have to comply with. So uh, those are the additional uh, comments that I wanted to make in that. Uh, so uh, Maureen, you could give your closing remarks as we wind down, and then Ayanda, you can give your concluding remarks. Um, so again, thank you, Christine, for the opportunity and for the very um, fruitful discussions we've had. So generally for me, I think in in determining or rather in making sure that Africa becomes part of the global value chain, it's very important that Africa participates on the on the discussions on going around taxes, but especially because as you've pointed out, those discussions that are being led by the OECD are not very um, favorable for African countries. So I believe that African countries need to um, contribute their voice to that debate so that we can have a more conclusive and a more inclusive um, uh, a more inclusive, more inclusive discussions on tax and discussions that will also affect how African countries um, design their tax policies to make sure that they join the global value chain. And the other thing that we've mentioned is the AFCFTA. I believe it's a very, um, it's a very good opportunity for the African continent. And um, since trading has begun under the AFCFTA this year, I believe that um, it's very very, very crucial for policymakers in Africa to see how the AFCFTA can be 
used to make sure that Africa joins the global, you know, continues to join um, global value chain. And in that sense, they also need to look at some of the pitfalls that could come up, especially in regard in regards to the regional economic communities and the multiple and overlapping memberships of, of those communities. Yeah, but all in all, thank you for, for, for the opportunity and for the discussions. Okay, uh, thanks, Maureen. Uh, it was nice to have you as well. Ayanda? Thank you so much, Christine. Um, I will never um, underestimate the power of trade and the power of trade to lift societies and communities out of very dark places. Um, I know that global value chains are difficult to integrate into. However, I do believe that if there is an increased focus by governments to try and upskill the uh, their nationals, to try and actually dig down and focus on ensuring that whatever their core competencies are, they're able to fully exploit them and for there to be enhanced intra-Africa trade to try to improve our specialization, to push the continent as a whole towards the um, later stages of the value chains. It's something that I know will not be done in a day. I don't think it will be done in this decade. However, I do hope and I hold on to the hope that um, Africa will one day be a major player within global value chains and not just as a um a lower end uh player but on the higher um the higher side of the global value chain and i know that with the introduction of the africa free trade area there's still a lot of unknowns that are at play especially considering as uh, maureen and yourself christine have noted that even within the regional blocks there's so much that needs to be done by the uh, the countries within those blocks, there are certain um, agreements that they follow and others that they don't. So it's it would be very interesting to see what the effect of the Africa Free Trade Area will be on Africa as a whole, as well as Africa's participation, not only in, uh, in terms of intra-Africa trade, but global trade and whether we will actually be able to harness all of the benefits or most of the benefits that come with being a major player within global trade. Um, and with that, all I can really say is that time will tell and we will definitely be watching it with a keen eye. Christine? Okay, uh, thanks Ayanda for those comments. And I think from my side, what I would say is that the world has changed, that we are, we are trading globally so that if as a country you have weak systems, whether it's the judicial system, whether it's your policies, then that affects your position in how you can participate in global trade. So as as I think Ayanda, you mentioned last time, is they need to strengthen institutions within African countries. And this goes back to like whether it's the constitution and the rights to protect uh, property in there or to like giving judiciary freedom to be able to make decisions uh, that can determine commercial outcomes favorably for businesses or uh, the ability to negotiate commercial contracts and to be able to enforce them in those countries without uh, interfer interference by the executive. These things, it, they're not just even rights of the people within that country. Those are the core things that will make you succeed or fail in the global economy. That's uh, the first thing I wanted to say. And then secondly, also, the knowledge economy is a driver of the creation of wealth today. 
You see, uh, in the past when Adam Smith was writing about the wealth of the nations, then it was the factors of production which were land, which were labor, which, which was capital. Right now, it's almost like uh, labor becomes like written code for the digital economy where you don't need to come and install software in someone's laptop. You actually just need to give them a code that they can use to download it. So you find things like labor are increasingly, uh, the, it's the, economy, the whole economy has become digitalized. And this requires the knowledge economy and the digital economy um, and the tech to be what drives integration into the global value chain. So African countries really need uh, to look at that not as an option, but as a need. Because in the coming days, when you, when you think about it, in the early 2000s, which is, which is not too long ago, is that it was just the beginning of when the when the digital revolution was happening, when uh, people were starting to, you know, like create email accounts and, you know, like uh, know like how you can have your website for just a few businesses. Right now, almost every business now has to go online, especially the COVID pandemic, where people now moved even to online shopping. The need for the digital development and integration to the digital economy becomes more and more, and it only become more and more with the fourth industrial revolution. So, for African countries, these are key key things that needs to be considered, and um, it has been a good discussion. I hope our listeners have learned something from it, uh, and it has profited you in whether it's in research, whether it's in policy making, whether it's in your business. And we'd like to hear what your comments are. Uh, you can leave that on our social media pages. For tonight, uh, thank you so much, Maureen, for joining us and Ayanda. And it's goodbye for now. I don't see why Africa would fall into the lower end or would stay rather in the lower end of the value chain. We could be rivaling, you know, our Asian counterparts.